sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We'll commence to read at verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. We know the Lord will add His blessing onto the reading of His Word, and we'll bow together in a further word of prayer, please. Heavenly Father, to Thy throne we come. We do pray that as we will go down through in this night and in days to come, God willing, the various clauses and sentences in this model prayer. We ask that we'll do not simply in a mechanical way, but that there will be warmth in the teaching, directors and pointers that will be beneficial to us. Lord, may Thy Word work on our hearts and minds, and may it be worked out in our lives as well. Come and answer prayer, bring glory and honor and praise unto Thy precious and Thine all-hallowed name. We pray for Jesus' sake and glory. Amen. As you know, we are on a series at the moment, From the Corner to the Closet, Be a Stone, the words of Matthew and the chapter 6. And we're coming to the verse 9 tonight. To many people we know in society, God is a name and nothing more than a name. In fact, you could say this, as far as they are concerned, this world would be no more fool than it is. If it would be clearly demonstrated there is a God and all the evidence would be there and stacking up and impressing on them, there is a God, it would be no more fool to them because they want nothing more to do with Him. Nor would it be any more emptying than if there was no God at all because many people are living without reference to God at all. He's not a factor in their lives. Nothing in life is regulated by Him or by His teachings and principles. But as for the child of God, what about us? How should we be conducting ourselves with respect to God? 
I dare say we're all familiar with the chorus that says, Glorify thy name, glorify thy name, glorify thy name in all the earth. And while we recognize here the hymn writer is repeating himself for emphasis sake there, that prayer that he's offering, it deserves repetition. And it's a good one to replicate in our lives. And when we come into the closet, close our door, begin to open our mouths in prayer to the Lord, then this would be a good line to begin with, or right up near the beginning of our prayer. Glorify thy name in all the earth. And so, you and I ought to be striving for this, and praying for this, and longing in our hearts, and living with this target and this aim in view. Now, that in essence is what we have in the opening lesson of the first petition in the Lord's Prayer itself. So, Matthew 6 and 9, we come to that again. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Or simply, in other words, what we are being taught here is simply to pray, glorify thy name in all the earth. Hallowed be thy name. We're going to ask three leading questions, putting them under different headings here. And the first heading is the revelation of God's name. And we're asking, what is intended here by the phrase, thy name? After this manner, Jesus said, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We know the Bible is a book of significant names, and really you can't with any thought process in gear read through Scripture and not find there is a name here, a name there, a name somewhere else, and maybe in the margin of your Bible you'll have the interpretation of the meaning of that particular name, and that, if nothing else, alerts us to the fact those names are not just simply tossed about with wild abandon, but they are carefully given, and those names have particular meanings. And when we come to the names of God, and there are many of those through the different books in our Bible, then we're asking ourselves, well, what does that name, for example, mean? We can come across Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there, and we're very interested to know what is that all about. We come across other titles of Jehovah, and again, what is the relevance of that? Jehovah said, can you, the Lord, our righteousness, and the Lord will provide and we can keep going through hundreds of those names that are given to God. And they're all very important in their own right, because each one of them is a revelation of God's nature. The names tell us who God is. They spell out what God is capable of doing. They give us wonderful insights into His character and into His nature. Now, whenever you hear a name of a person today, and maybe a baby is born, and you're asking, well, what name are they giving the child? Most times, the name tells you very little about any proposed or prospective character on that child. But you might, in certain areas with different names, draw some conclusions. For example, if you ask, well, what's the name? And you hear, well, it's John Paul 
You're going to think, right, uh, he could grow up to be a bit of a dedicated papist there. Or if you hear on the other side, it's William, and we're calling him Billy, well, you'll think he's a true blue and a hard line Protestant, but those conclusions might well be very far from the truth. The names of men and of women today mean little. And as time goes on, and to my mind, it's probably an age thing with me, but I hear names of children, and I'm thinking, could we be even more bizarre than that? Where did that name come from? Because they're not what I think to be standard names, traditional names. And here we are working through a whole myriad of names, which are mere labels imposed by their parents. But it is altogether different in God's case because every name applied to him is significant. Every name that God is wearing means something, and it's a valuable meaning every single time. Every name that he has in Scripture, it throws another light upon his nature like looking at a diamond and it's multifaceted and you're looking from various angles to get the complete picture. And so with God, every name will be a key to His character. We'll take a couple of examples in passing. You remember the time when Jacob was wrestling with the angel of the Lord and he wrestled by the brook Jabbok right through to the break of the next day. And as the wrestling went on, Jacob is posing a question. Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. Genesis 32 and the verse 29. Now, what was it here that Jacob really wanted to know? What was he trying to delve into? He wanted to ascertain the nature, the character of this mighty wrestler that he was up against on that occasion. Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. In other words, unfold your character. Explain yourself who you are to me. Make known to me your nature. Reveal your heart. That's the deeper meaning of Jacob's cry. Then when David cried in the Psalm 9 verse 10, he said, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. Well, we're understanding what he's meaning here, and he's meaning this. Anybody who really knows God. In the terms and in the manner that Daniel 11.32, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Those that know God, who have searched His character, who have got down into His heart, who have seen the mercy and the love that is there, when we see these things about Him, we will trust Him. They that know thy name will put their trust in thee. There will be a response from us when we get to know more about him, knowing him through his name. And we cannot do anything other than trust him more fully than before. Question is, where and how has the name of God been revealed to us? Revealed through nature. David Maybe he's thinking on the days when he was the shepherd boy, and he's out watching over the sheep on that still and starry night, and he sees, he sees a picture of God, a reflection of His power, 
an understanding of his eternal Godhead, Romans chapter 1. And in Psalm 19 and 1, he notes the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. One of the greatest English poets, John Ruskin, noted, it is but the outer hem of God's great mantle. Our poor stars do gem. Another one has said, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God. And there can be no doubt about it whatsoever. God reveals His name to us through this natural world that is all around us. And as I scan the universe, I see His signature here, His signature there, His signature everywhere. For example, I can't look at those mighty mountains that the psalmist thought about in Psalm 90 and 2, and again in Psalm 95 and 4. And I must remember, it was the Lord God Almighty who put those in place. I again take in the expanse of the seas and the oceans, as again the psalmist did in Psalm 95 and verse 5. And I remember it was God who put them there and set their boundaries. I hear the thunder rolling and see the lightning flash, and like Isaiah, I think in his terms, Isaiah 40, verse 12, 15, and 18, and I am saying as he did, who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as a small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. To whom then will ye liken God? When I see the birds of the air, I recall what the Savior said about them, that your heavenly Father, he feeds them, and more than that, not a single one of them zips through the air and then drops onto the ground without your Father's knowledge. Matthew 6 and verse 23, when I am looking at the lilies of the field, and they're fine if they stay in the field, by the way, if they get into the house and then start spreading all their scent, particularly at night, they're not terribly good then for me at all because my throat is ready to collapse at that point. But our Savior acknowledged the beauty of the lilies, Matthew 6, 28 to 29, and I'm remembering there that God has made a particular clothing and design for them like He does every other flower. When I think of the fossils in the ground, and more and more of these are being dug up. In fact, recently there was one found in Canada. And whenever I posted it up on the internet, I got a comment again from Andrew Fitney saying, that's only two miles down the road from me. Well, I'm thinking if it was two miles down the road from me, I'd be out there and I'd be sprawling about there hoping that I could find the fossil of a dinosaur, as has been found there. But what they said, it's amazing we see the skin pattern on this colossal animal. And of course, they have found soft tissues in these dinosaurs in an increasingly regular way over recent years. And that's saying, how can they possibly be the age, the label they stick on them? 
because they're found in this kind of a rock, and therefore that rock we imagine is going to be so many million years of age, and therefore anything found in it has to be the same date. It's all circular reasoning, but there is no way that this tissue would last for millions of years. They're pointing these fossils to be young earth. And to the greatness of God as we read about the dinosaurs in, for example, Job chapter 40 and Job chapter 41 as well. So we have evidence of His signatures all around us. And so we have the old poet Coldridge saying, Earth with her thousand voices praises God. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, because this world definitely speaks to me about God. But it only has a limited voice. Nature does not tell all the secrets, and far from it. If we were dependent on nature alone to reveal God to us, we'd be crying out with the kind of frustration that we have in Isaiah 45 and the verse 15, Verily thou art a God that hidest thyself, O God of Israel, the Savior. So having heard the full vocal ability and all the tones of the voice of nature, Having tuned into the full range of all of its notes in its orchestra, having taken the full ambit of all of the colors in its painting palette, we are still saying, Lord, show us thy name. We need to know more. And thank God that name of God has been revealed, not only in nature, but in the Holy Scriptures. In this book of God, we have a name of God, and another name of God, and another one hot in the heels of the previous one, and with every fresh name there is coming new light, new information about God. We talk about great discoveries. Maybe there's a discovery of a new set of islands, or mountain ranges, or valuable minerals more likely, or fossil fuels, not that they want those anymore, the discovery of lost darts maybe, or buried treasure, or the discovery of new facts in the realm of science, or we have the discovery of planets out there they've never spotted before, or even constellations out there that are totally new. Go on to Google. Used to be you had to buy a timetable. Go on to Google now, and all the information is there. Scientific discoveries, new scientific discoveries. And you'll find a huge list and all the famous discoverers behind them, what they discovered, when they discovered it, how they discovered it, what use has been made of their discovery to date. And it's very interesting and totally informative reading. Great discoveries for sure, but even greater were those times in Bible history when God revealed Himself to one of His prophets under a new name. Here's something more to get your teeth into that will reveal to you another facet of the nature and character of God. And we have those names in our Bible, and we can trace them out right through to Revelation 3 and verse 12, where in that final book the promise is, to him that overcometh, I will write upon him my new name, 
revealing the character and nature of God. So we find it in nature. We find the name of God in the Holy Scriptures. And more than that, the name of God has been revealed visibly and fully in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. All those Old Testament prophets, all of those old-time seers, pointing into the future, revealing things, predicting under the inspiration of God what was going to take place in the future. They were saying wonderful things, but at last. We are told, Galatians 4 and 1, 4 and 4, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son into the world, and that Son came, Hebrews 1 and 3 tells us, as the brightness of His glory as the express image of his person. And he gives the full and the final revelation of the character of God to us. That's why our Lord Jesus Christ is described in 2 Corinthians 4 and 6 as, God hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that ties in, does it not, with what our Lord said to Philip. Philip comes and he's saying, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And our Lord answers him with incredulity. What, Philip? Am I hearing what you're saying here? Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father, believest thou not, that I am in the Father and the Father in me? In other words, Jesus is saying, here's the revelation of God, the best revelation, the purest revelation that man has ever seen. You say it in me. I reveal the Father. Tell me, I pray thee, thy name, Jacob's old question. How do we find it? It's by looking to Jesus Christ, that we discover fully the character of God. And so when our Lord is teaching us here to pray, in Matthew chapter 6, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's telling us, get close to me. Get near to me. Get to know Christ like never before. Study Him, consider Him, as Hebrews 3 and 1, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 would encourage us. And looking at Him, studying Him, considering Him, so give glory to God. The name of God has been revealed visibly and fully through the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the revelation of God's name. We have the respect for God's name. The respect for God's name. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Viewed as it is, holy, magnified, gloried in by us. And yet the world, and I said there would be another question, how is that name to be hallowed? That's the question. How is that name to be hallowed? There are many men and women today, and you know that they can hardly speak a sentence without, number one, foul language coming into it. That's virtually the punctuation marks all through it. Listen to a couple of guys maybe standing, talking to one another on the street, and you're thinking, this is despairing. 
These guys have no vocabulary. Well, they have a perfectly good vocabulary, but they are desecrating their language by putting in foul terms and dropping in the name of God. Exclamations. God is being dishonored in their language. They take it in vain. They use it blasphemously. It used to be a characteristic trait of Roman Catholics in our country that they were forever violating the third commandment by taking the name of the Lord in vain. And you almost would have said, well, you know, that is what they characteristically do. But that's not true any longer. At least it's not true that it's only confined to them. It's not any longer the preserved domain of the Romanists to do it. So-called Protestants are equally as bad at this vile practice. And there's nothing I detest more than overhearing a man or a woman punctuating their conversation with a blasphemous use of God's holy name. This name has been given to be honored. It has been given to be praised. Edward Perinette was right to exhort all heal the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, and if they, those holy creatures, serving Him day and night in heaven, are to bow before that name, how should you and I react to it? In honor, in reverence, all heal the power of Jesus' name. In the life of William Windham, Lord Grenville he was, it said that in the section dealing with his speeches in Parliament, nothing offended him more than the careless, irreverent use of God's name. I remember, says his biographer, that on reading a letter addressed to him in which the words, my God had been made use of on a light occasion, he quickly snatched a pen, and before he could finish reading the letter, blotted out that misplaced exclamation. Sir Robert Boyle, one of the greatest scientists in the 17th century, he arrived in 1662 at Boyle's Law. Pressure and volume of gas are inversely proportional. He was a director of the East India Company. In that capacity, he worked diligently for the spread of true saving religion in the East, and he circulated copies of the Bible at his own expense. He had such a reverence for God and a sense of His presence that he never mentioned God's name without a pause, an invisible stop in his conversation. However, merely abstaining from taking the name of the Lord in vain is not all that is meant by Jesus here, when He's encouraging us to pray after this manner, therefore pray, ye are, Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He is meaning much more than this. Let this name be exalted above any other word you speak. Let His name be treasured and valued above the highest treasure that you have. We don't hallow God's name simply by holding back from indulging in the vile and vulgar habit of swearing by using His name. The ancient Jews stuck very assiduously to the letter of the law in this practice. 
They read Exodus 20 and 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And they tried to fence off that in their lives. They don't want to break that commandment. And yet, of course, they violated the spirit of the command. But they were very scrupulous here that he wouldn't even pronounce the name of God, Jehovah. Wouldn't say it out. Passed over it in silence. They wouldn't even walk on a piece of paper lying on the ground for fear that the sacred name of God might be written on that little piece of paper. And yet the Jew, while he is giving this strict, literal obedience to the command of God, at the same time he is violating this commandment and dishonoring the God whose name he feared by rejecting the revelation of God in his Son. Miss that entirely. Miss glorious sights of God. That Jew has many modern counterparts today. If we talk about Islam, read an interesting comment in the old book, the Mohammedan will interlaird his filthiest talk with appeals to Allah. The Italian brigand will repeat the paternoster and then go on with his robbery. And we know only too well in our own country here how those in IRA, Sinn Féin, were able to take of the mass, then go out and murder or do one and then go and do the other. An apostate Protestant clergyman will gush and grind about the peace of God and then lead others by the nose down into that place where there is no peace eternally. Those who bow at God's name being mentioned in church, who slavishly adhere to the rituals of some denomination, who pay lip service to God in the cathedrals and citadels of apostasy, and then go out to dishonor God's name, drag it through the mud, lay it open to the jest, and the, the jibes of the scorners, there is nothing so dishonoring to God as profession without practice. God was weary of those Jews when all they had was something outward and nothing inward. And he said in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, for example, Well hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Those words recorded in Mark 7 and 6, found in Isaiah 29, 13, again in Matthew 15 and the verse 8, and in John 17 and 4, other verses to deal with this very same topic. What does a child want to do if he desires in his heart, I'm going to honor father, going to honor mother? What does he do? He follows a commandment, honor thy father and mother, and he does it by obeying them. Prompt, willing obedience to the parents' commands. Do we want to glorify God? Do we want to hallow his name? Then simply what do we do? 
Obey him. Obey him everywhere. Obey him at all times. Obey him promptly and absolutely and willingly and joyfully. And that's how our Lord Jesus Christ went about hallowing the Father's name. From the earliest days, he said, I am about my Father's business. I delight to do thy will, O my God. He's born in Bethlehem, laboring in Galilee, drinking the bitter cup in the garden, dying upon the cross. And why is he doing these things? Because every single one of them was God's will. He gave to the Father such full and absolute and glad obedience that he could testify as he did in John 17 and 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. high By doing God's will at every point. So treasure high thoughts of God. Trust Him with all that you are and have. Final thing, how important is it that we hallow the name of the Lord, the revelation of God's name, the respect for God's name, the ranking in God's name? How important that we hallow the name of the Lord. After this manner, therefore, Matthew 6 and 9, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How important is this? It is so important that our Lord is extremely careful to put it right up top of the list, the first in the six million petitions that we have in this prayer. Congregationalist minister in former years, J.D. Jones said, the king of all the petitions is the one that stands in the forefront. You remember that the petitions divide into two parts. First part, all concerned. First three, with God's honor and God's glory. The second part, concerned with man's blessing and his benefit. But the lesson our Lord is underlining and highlighting here and emphasizing is simply this. Our first petitions must be centered not on our own personal glory, but on God's glory and His praise. That's an order that God requires. That's precedence that He demands in prayer as in every avenue of life. And so this petition, hallowed be thy name, it occupies first place, given precedence here in our prayers. Just like it is in Matthew 6 and verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God. That applies to prayer as well. Have you ever noticed how faithfully, because our Lord didn't preach and not practice, how faithfully our Lord Jesus Christ observed the rule that He's laying down for us here in Matthew 6 and verse 9, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When you start examining the prayers of Christ that are recorded in the Bible, you'll discover that with Him, first things always did come first. He's not above praying for relief, for deliverance, for the control of pain. But, and this is the vital thing, his own wishes were always kept in second place. It was always God first with him. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Luke 22 and verse 42. John 12 and verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. That's the order of prayer. God first, 
and we never have any right to reverse it. Now, the fact of the matter is we often do. Instead of having first things first, we often have the first things last, the last things first. And here's a test. Which petitions would we be liable to express with the most fervor in our praying? Which ones do we tend to keep repeating and pressing and bringing back to the throne again and again and again? What ones? Are they the ones for our benefit? Or are those prayers the ones for God's glory? Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's analyze Think over our own praying. What do we highlight the most? Lay the most emphasis upon those petitions for personal blessing or other people's blessing and benefit or for God's glory. I suggest many times the first three here dealing with God's glory, they are skipped over. We don't dwell on them. We don't saturate our souls with them. The final three dealing with our good are the ones that carry the most appeal. Or maybe the ones we concentrate on the most. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And yet the proper order is what God has led down here. God first. Those godly men that met in 1642 to draft the Westminster Confession brought a couple of catechisms into play as well, the shorter catechism, best known. And who doesn't know the answer to the first question, man's chief end, is to glorify God above every personal interest, above every creature concern and creature comfort, above every level of selfish advantage, they insisted, stands the glory of God. Every true disciple of Jesus Christ must have the glorifying of God as his chiefest desire. For first, and above all, must he seek that God's name may be hallowed. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. On one occasion, two great Puritan preachers were traveling together, going to preach in the same town. And as he walked, James Durham, he saw multitudes thronging into the church where his friend Andrew Gray was going to preach, but only a small number going to the service that Durham was going to take. He said, Brother, I perceive that you're going to have a throng church today. Andrew Gray replied, Truly, brother, they're fools that leave you to come to me. But Durham nobly responded, Not so, dear brother. For a minister can receive no such honor and success in the ministering, except it be given him from heaven. I rejoice that Christ is preached, and that his honor and esteem do increase. Though my esteem in people's hearts should decrease and be diminished. For I am content to be anything so that Christ may be all in all. That's the principle that's underlined in this first petition. Before we have a cry for daily bread, for deliverance from temptation, for forgiveness of sins, comes the plea that God might have all the glory. 
due to his name. Hallowed be thy name. And what we really should remember is this. If we don't set out to glorify God's name, he is going to glorify it anyway. John 12, 28, Father, glorify thy name. What was the response to that? Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. In Luke 19 and 40. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. He will glorify it anyway. And he does it in one of two ways. Either through salvation and deliverance, and that's what we're praying for friends and family and people attending the church. Lord, save, deliver. But he also glorifies his name by sentence and destruction. And that dark side of the coin we pick up with Pharaoh. In, for example, Exodus 14, verse 17 and 18, God saying, And behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor. I will get me honor upon Pharaoh, and upon all his host, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. They'll get to know my name. In other words, when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, and upon his horsemen. Same thing happened. New Testament times, God doesn't change. With Herod, in Acts 12, 21, 23, and upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them, and the people gave a shout, saying, It's the voice of a God, and not of a man. And he evidently absorbed that like a sponge, and thought, This is brilliant, and immediately. The angel of the Lord smote him. Why? Is that fair? Because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Our Lord is teaching us, hallowed be thy name. God desires it. God demands it. God deserves it. And he rewards it. As we come to prayer... We have, as per usual, quite a number of points for prayer, and we add to the families that have suffered recent bereavements, the Lewis family. Do keep Irene in mind there. Aris Fields, her niece, died today, a woman of 56 years of age. June Hamilton has been allowed to go home, but is going back now for further tests. And you will probably remember our violinist during the lockdown period where Jacob Frank played violin for us, and Simeon Frank, his youngest child, was in today for cranium surgery extremely serious. Uh, that's been long in the planning, but do keep praying for that little family over in America. 
Natasha Burcroft, keep her in mind. Also, we've mentioned her before. Stanley Manis is at the moment down to about 10% of the sight in one eye, and he is going in to have that seen to or looked at at least tomorrow. Uh, keep that in mind, and all the other names are here. Little ones tomorrow, Remembrance Day service coming up. Before we'll know it, we'll be there, and pray that others will be gathered in on that occasion. Let's bow together in prayer. As many as possible do take part. Fill up the time. Don't wait for somebody else. There's not a lot of people here tonight to be waiting on. So you take your opportunity and pray. You see how our Lord is teaching so much in just one line of prayer. It's all we need to give. If that's all we feel we can. Our Heavenly Father, to Thee we come tonight. We thank Thee that Thou art jealous of Thine own glory. Thou hast vowed, I will not give it to another. Pharaoh tried to take it, and we see what happened to him. Herod tried to take it, and the same thing or something similar happened to him. And Lord, it's a warning. All these things are written down in Scripture for our, for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come, we are told. May we be admonished by them. May they come with a big red label of warning. Don't be siphoning off God's glory. Because 100% of it belongs to Him. And only Him. Teach us, Lord, what it means to fulfill this petition, to offer it, and then to live it. Hallowed be thy name. John, we know, knew what this meant when he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. And all of thy saints across the world, throughout history, have understood. It's not about us. Not unto us, O Lord God. Not unto us. But unto Thy name give glory. For Thy mercy. And for Thy truth's sake. Lord, we know that Thou art not going to show mercy. And not going to cause Thy truth to have great impact. If we are in the middle of it all. Muddling the order up. And trying to, in our effort, bring glory to our name. And rain down some kind of empty plaudits on our heads. We thank the Lord for what we saw on Sunday evening. Sunday morning too. Visitors in. We thank the Lord for the number of families that are being increasingly contacted. To thy name be the glory. Over this we do say, hallowed be thy name. To every home that has received and responded favorably to an invitation to come. To the parents who came out. Lord, take the glory. To those that are asking that prayer should be made for them. Lord, take that praise.
to those who have expressed that they felt very welcome in coming to the house of God, that God's people were so friendly to them. Lord, again, take the praise. Take the praise for that. To those that are coming on a Thursday morning, to those that are coming on a Monday night, Tuesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, take the praise for that. And right through all of our work in this house, we pray that thou wilt magnify thy name every time we meet on the Lord's day, on those nights that are mentioned, here on a Wednesday night, youth fellowship on a Friday night, men's prayer meeting on a Friday night. Every function this church is performing, Lord, help us always to remember, whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Hallowed be thy name. Lord, lodge that. Lodge that little line or English Bible in our minds this week. And may we work. May we work as though our efforts totally were what was going to count. May we work in that attitude. But knowing, knowing, it is God's power that will accomplish everything. He demands that we follow Him. He demands we follow Him fully. He rewards us when we do our best for Him. But help our best always to be targeting Thy glory. In Thy name we pray, offering thanks for all that I was done already. In Jesus' name, amen.